Welcome, listeners. Have a seat over here by the fire. This is an episode-by-episode watch-along podcast for the new Wheel of Time TV show. Unless you're listening some point after the inevitable reboot, in which case this is a podcast about the old Wheel of Time TV show. Never mind that dark future, and never mind the Trollocs, here's the podcast. Hello, listeners. Here we are. The finale of Nevermind the Trollocs. It's going to be great. We're going to get lots of resolution to all the things that we've discussed so far during this... uh, Fuck. Hi, I'm Sarah. My pronouns are (laughs) she and they, and I'm mad about this episode. Hi, I'm Tom. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm mad about this episode. I'm Nina. My pronouns are she, they... I'm mad about this episode, but still liked it. (laughs) And I'm Max. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm mad about the episode. Hey, bad episode. (laughs) (laughs) Are we done here? Is that all we need to say? (laughs) My L is that I enjoyed the episode on a first watch, and then I watched it again this morning. I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) My L is that there are so many good things to complain about in this episode but the part that made me the most angry is an inconsequential like nothing of a (laughs) continuity error that's that's the most disease again (laughs) well before we as sarah put it pick the episode apart and leave its bones to the vultures (laughs) are we ready for some recap yes let's dive in we'll sharpen our knives while you recap yeah Before Luce Theron's failed attack on the Dark One, before the breaking of the world, the Aes Sedai were men and women. The cities of humankind scraped the clouds, and vehicles flew through the air. But that was 3,000 years ago. After struggling for hours through the thick dead brush and creeping rot of the blight, Rand and Moraine take a brief rest. In his sleep, Rand is visited by the Dark One, no longer the desiccated mask with flame in its eyes but a seemingly ordinary man, dark-haired and bearded. He seems almost concerned as he asks the Dragon Reborn, has he no other allies? Has he ever even channeled before? Does he have any idea what he's doing? Lan and Nynaeve and Egwin and Perrin wait inside the walls of Faldara. Seeing Lan's distress at being unable to protect Moraine, Nynaeve reveals that she knows how he can find her that Moraine has a tell that makes her trackable. Their parting is full of uncertainty. Nynaeve is considering becoming an Aes Sedai, a path that would allow her to marry, but Lan is still Moraine's warder. What future can they have? Trudging on, Rand questions why Moraine hasn't tried to teach him to channel, what her plan is for when they arrive at the Eye. She admits that she has to balance the risks. Each time he channels, he will bring himself closer to madness. And her own experience learning to channel tells her that with enough fear and pain, he will reach for the source, and it will be there. She has also brought a Sa Angriel, a magical item from before the breaking. This one has been infused with power from countless channelers, men, and it will strengthen Rand's own channeling. The two can hear an army gathering, can see the smoke and roiling mass of Trollocs in the distance, 
but the only help they can give Faldara is to continue their own mission. Once the Faldarans see the size of the approaching army, they reconcile themselves to death. Foreigners will be allowed to leave the city, and messengers sent to spread word to nearby settlements, but everyone else will either follow the king to reinforce the wall at Tarwin's Gap, or stay and defend the city, buying time for the rest of humanity. Nynaeve, Egwene, Heron, and Loyal decide to remain and join in the defense. Rand and Moraine reach the eye, a great hole in the earth, staircases zigzagging down its edges carved into the rock. At the bottom, the Dark One appears and immediately takes over Rand's mind. Moraine attacks but is countered easily, then cut off from the source, stilled, unable to channel. But she has plans within plans, and knowing that the real battle is taking place in Rand's mind, she holds a knife to his throat and stares the Dark One down. If there is the slightest hint that Rand has chosen the Dark, she will cut his throat. But how will she know? Inside, Rand wakes to find himself back in the two rivers, living in his old home, the sheep bleeding in their pens, but now with Egwene and a baby daughter. The Dark One appears again, freezing time, and tells Rand, he has the power to remake the world, to make this his heart's desire real. The Dark One cuts open Dream Egwene's neck, and she remains frozen but bleeding to death as Rand tries to staunch the wound and yells, stop! As Rand's panic builds, the Dark One closes the wound, and it's as if it had never been there. After looking around him for a moment, overwhelmed, Rand asks, how? The wall at Tarwin's Gap falls. Amalisa has just enough training to know how to link channelers. She calls for every woman in the city who can channel and pulls their power together, calling up a storm and waves of lightning to destroy the Trolloc army. But she cannot control it. One by one, the women fall, burnt out by the unchecked power being drawn through them. But Amalisa cannot stop. Strong as they are, Nynaeve and Egwene are among the last alive, and Nynaeve burns protecting Egwene just before Amalisa herself drops dead. Somehow, in the aftermath, Egwene is able to revive her friend. Perrin and Loyal help a small group of guards break open part of the throne room floor, digging up a case that they claim contains the Horn of Velir. Blown by the Dragon Reborn, this horn will call the pattern's greatest heroes to Tarman Gaidon, the last battle. But Perrin spots Padden Fane again and chases him. By the time he returns to the throne room, the floor is covered in bodies, the room full of enemies, and Fane has the horn. Perrin cannot bring himself to attack, and the Dark Friend gets away with his prize. Once the Dark One has taught Rand how to channel, he seems to have won. Yet Rand makes a different choice. This isn't the Egwene he loves. This isn't what she would choose. So he channels into the Sa'angriel, wakes in the real world, and blasts the Dark One with power. The stones crack underfoot and he is left at the eye with Moraine. But now Rand has felt the madness. To protect his loved ones from himself, he is never going back. He sets off alone. Lan finds Moraine there at the eye, grieving the loss of her power and worrying that she was wrong, that strengthening the Dark One's prison isn't an end, but a beginning. can't believe I had to yet again relive this entire episode just now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you inflicted that on us, Nina. 
stuff happened. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's great. Much better recap. Let's put that in. <laughs> um, I think the the most content in the episode is Moran and Rand going off to defeat the Dark One of the Eye of the World. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we should start there. Max, hi. Who's the, who the fuck is this guy? Can I get it in your word? Who the fuck? Who's this guy? Who is this what, guy? What happened? What the oh, fuck happened? Shit, Jesus. Okay, so uh, the Dark One, portrayed by Ferris Ferris, brother of Joseph Ferris, known to gamers as the fuck the Oscars guy. Uh, <laughs> that was my favorite part of the entire episode, just because I was like pointing, fucking Leo pointing at my screen the entire time. This was an episode for the gamers. I'll, I'll come back to that. It really, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God. So we get that cold classic devil on your shoulder thing where the dark one's like, first of all, funky suit on this guy. Mm. I love that Good he has God. Good suit. <laughs> Good suit. Um, I love that his nasty like lava mask was just literally like a fucking like morph suit slip over his head and he just like slurps it up into his eye and he's like i'm normal now hello good to see you lose hi i'm regular (laughs) what up loser loser you're picking up what i'm putting down there (laughs) (laughs) um He's just like the the devil on Rand's shoulder the entire time, you know, tempting him. He's like, let me tell you what the I said I won't. And, you know, he's we know from Dana, if that was her name from that one town several episodes ago, that like the Dark One and his followers want to break the wheel. So presumably what he's doing is he's telling Rand, hey, get your power good enough. You know, you can like you can make anything you want just because you will it to be so. And I guess what he's trying to do is to get Rand to get to the point where he can, you know, just like decide to break the wheel and like, you know, set everyone free because even he even mentions um, to Rand the first time we see him in, in his dream in the woods about how like, you know, Oh, are you like a, a, a fool this time? Like, you know, referencing mm-hmm. like the turning the wheel and everything. And it, uh, what the hell even happened? I don't know. He's not dead. You know, when, I mean, I know he was going there to like further like strengthen his bonds and not like straight up kill him. But like, you know, when someone's being blasted away by like piercing white light and they like make a little smirk as they do it. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, all right, mm-hmm. I've seen Dragon Ball. I know what's going to happen. He'll be back later. <laughs> he's going to get a Zenkai boost and he'll be fine. Um, I don't know. Like, he's a cool he's he's a really the actor's good. I like his accent. It's very unique. Mm. Um, It's it's like kind of Scottish, right? I don't know. I no idea. D- did okay. not detect any Scottish there. He, he said, some, every so often he'd say a word very strangely to me. Um, I think the actual actor is Lebanese. So I, I, I don't know if he's mixing his own accent in, but mm-hmm. um, I, like I'm just talking in circles. Basically, I like the idea of the Dark One. He's super not dead. Um, and I, I still think my prediction holds true that like basically all Rand did was just like fragment him and he's just like in a bunch of little pieces now just like smaller pieces of him just chilling around the world mm. he's fine we'll be mm. fine because this wasn't the last battle it was the first mm. yay i mean they say that the dark one like quendiar can't be broken even with the one power and yet <laughs> and yet and, and like yet. i that that part was such a weird part for me too First of all, one of many bits of just insane exposition in this episode. 
where Lan runs into Moraine, who's like cut off from the one power. Like everything she's ever known is like, bye bye. And she's like, Lan, look at this cool rock I found. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the urge to show people a cool rock you found is very strong. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd think an ice that I would have a little more restraint, but me. Yeah, that bit at the end. Uh, so I guess first, agreed. I very much liked how they portrayed and wrote the Dark One in this mm-hmm. episode. I love that he seems sort of vaguely concerned about Rand the whole time. Yeah, you okay, little buddy? Yeah. <laughs> you doing good? Oh, oh, buddy, you need some help there? And I, <laughs> I enjoy the portrayal of evil that sort of shows you what you want and wants you mm-hmm. to choose mm-hmm. to be bad, is not interested in forcing you. Right. Wants you to choose to indulge your like worst impulses and greatest selfishness and whatever else. But the bit at the end with Moraine and the Quendilar was just indicative of what I thought was the biggest problem in this episode is that at various points, we're not really feeling the stakes Things mm. feel uh, sort of anticlimactic a lot. Like it should feel like a huge deal that she's cut off from the source, and they somehow don't manage to stick that landing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think in that scene, the problem is that they're trying to do two different things. They're trying to do Moraine is distraught because she's been cut off from the power, and also Moraine has just realized that Rand did not succeed. The war is not over. Things are actually going to get worse in ways that they can't predict because the Quendiar has been broken. Yeah. Um, this thing that isn't supposed to be able to happen has happened. And it's while mm-hmm. holding that in theory that Moraine has the realization that like, oh, this is actually just the beginning. And trying to do both of those very like emotionally loaded things in the same scene ends up with neither of them really landing. Yeah. And it raises this like crucial question of like, when does Moraine realize that things aren't over. Yeah. Right. Because it has to be after Rand left, because otherwise, why would she let Rand yeah. go? You're like, no, no. <laughs> Rand, come back. Rand, come back, please. We, we still need you. You're, you're, no, you still got more to Come on. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just, you know, frustrating again, because it's like, Maureen, like, surely the fact that you survived whenever everything you were telling us was like, oh, when Rand crushes the Dark One, like, you're gonna die, and, like, the, you know, the dragon's gonna die. It's like, the very fact they survived, like, buddy, did you, like, were you were you just so distraught from being cut off from the One Power that you did not use your brain cells for the first time this series? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Isn't being cut off from the One Power worse than death? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes you think. Speaking of Moraine's brain cells perhaps not <laughs> working at full capacity this episode, that moment when she's got the knife to Rand's throat and the Dark One is like, you can't tell what he's doing. You can't tell if he's helping me yeah. or hurting me. What? <laughs> and if the Dark One can like totally negate her powers with like the faintest twitch of his fingers, yeah. what makes her think she's going to be able to draw that knife across Rand's throat? Exactly. Like I had the same thought. He could turn the knife into butterflies. I, I feel myself turning into cinema sins right now, just like remembering this episode. The, the, yeah. fucking, the fucking dings are ringing in my head right now. <laughs> like it's just so. And God, just p- compounding all this, right? Um, the Dark One mentions it, when when uh, Rand first meets him in the woods that when he was loose, he went with ninety nine other eyes to die, and that didn't even seal the Dark One away. 
and he has one. And that's what prompts Rand to be like, hey, Maureen, what's your plan? I know you have a plan. And Maureen is like, she reaches into her pocket and takes out like a tiny little Funko Pop and is like, Rand, <laughs> here's the magical MacGuffin this week. I want you to use this. It's just, it's just such a weird thing to introduce at the very end. Be like, yeah, yeah we know you can't channel. So here's a little guy. He will help you on your way. This is a secret tool that we'll use for later. Have yeah. they even said the word Angriel? No. No. Like, this is the first time we've, like, and, like, I'm pretty sure they've used, like, Angriel, Terangriels. There's, like, a little, I noticed in the Amazon, like, x-ray, this little mm-hmm. explanation mm-hmm. of, like, huh, I saw Angriel. It's a thing that makes you channel good. A Terangriel is a fucking D&D magic item. And an Angriel, like, there was a whole explanation, and I'm just like, you're just, like, dropping this into the final episode? Like, right. It's the, just... um, I mean, the Oathrod is a Terangriel, so we've seen them before. Yeah. Okay, I was but... literally gonna ask if that was one of those things, too, is, but yeah. I was on the right path. Yeah, like, fucking Warren's painting and shit was a Terangriel, I-, I assume. Yeah, I just appreciate that in the books, they make a point of setting up that a lot of the magical items do mundane things. Like, mm. one of them is just a crankshaft that works without any power inputs. It just goes forever, mm. and they don't know why. Like, <laughs> and that's how they had flying cars in the past. Um, yeah. You know, and that there are some in cities that all they do is, like, pump water out of tunnels or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, a bunch of yeah. them do really mundane shit, yeah. but that is useful. <laughs> And I feel like that would have been a more interesting setup for the concept than, okay, here's all the super high magic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I'm i going to say this a couple of times th- <laughs> as we go through this episode, because um, it's important to remind the listeners who are hearing us talking about it now that all of us did experience feelings of pleasure and excitement <laughs> while watching oh, yeah. this episode. We, we liked a lot of the stuff. We liked a lot of it. A lot of like strong, good feelings about this. However, when we start talking about it, <laughs> it's constructive criticism, dear listener. Um, and this this bit with the Angreal is uh, an area where they really, really messed up by not establishing these things earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like there are so many times in this episode when things just like pop up and we don't they're new. We don't know anything about them. We don't have any stakes or understanding of why they matter. Like there's that line about um light every torch in Faldara. There will be no shadows for the fades to hide in. Mm-hmm. A little bit later in the show, we see the fades, like two of them alone, just like tear through this whole squadron of veteran soldiers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's stuff that should have been set up episodes and episodes ago. I've complained mm-hmm. about the lack of fade lore in this show before. <laughs> yeah. But stuff like the fades hide in shadows. The fades aren't entirely material. The fades like create this aura of overwhelming fear that causes people to be unable to move whenever they move around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff would have made the stuff with the fades work better here. Because so far, all we've seen the fades do is scream, stand, ride horse, fight Tom (laughs) Marilyn. Eat hot chip. (laughs) Yeah, why? Any fade born after 1993. Uh, um, and yeah, yeah, the one time we saw one actually fight before, it was basically in a draw with one old Gleeman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, he he was a Gleeman of Gleeman, but mm. still, just one dude. He's the only Gleeman we've seen. Maybe they're all like that. Maybe Tom Merlin was a level one Gleeman. <laughs> yeah, he he's the least of all Gleeman. Gosh. Yeah. I... One thing that does quite interest me about the Fades, though, I mean, A, we know that they each have, like, a sort of regiment of Trollocs they command, Mm -hmm. because uh, in the palace, before they do discount Helm's Deep, 
they talk about how um Helms Shallow. There's sixty Sorry, carry on. <laughs> Sarah, thank you. <laughs> Um, Amazing. There's like there's like there's sixty fades. That must mean there's five or ten thousand trollocs. So a, a fade commands this whole thing of trollocs. But what I also really love is that these fades are these like magical, evil, ethereal creatures, and a dark friend is in charge of them. Patton Fane's just a guy. Mm. These fades are like essentially like his underlings in this moment, which makes them so much more interesting to me because it actually gives this idea of like some sense of hierarchy within Dark One Incorporated, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, even though the Padden Fane exposition at the end is very eye-roll, it's like, God. he just, he sits down and, like, gives his pitches fucking season two to us or whatever. Cradles his, cradles his cool ivory box. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the fact that he knows all this stuff and, like, knows sort of more than Maureen did about them very much gives you a sense of, like, oh, like, this is, like, he's the main villain. Almost. Mm-hmm. Um... And yeah, you know and, that, and props, that, that that was interesting to me. I like yeah. that kind of a bit. Props where they're due. The actor did a pretty good job with what I think was a pretty bad script. Yeah, like it, it, so much of it is like the body language. He's so casual about it. The way he like hops on the throne and like puts his leg up and yeah. like he's sitting yeah. like the fucking jarls do in Skyrim. He enjoys it so much. Yeah, it's great. And you can see even when he's like pulling the dagger out of loyal. There's like a, a sensation of pleasure that he's conveying. He's just like, he likes stabbing this Ogier. He, oh, yeah. The, the dagger he has is the, the dagger dagger, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm, I missed my good friend Matt's dagger. <laughs> <laughs> All the stuff with the horn just irritated. Like, God. the guards putting this case down on the stairs to go investigate a noise. Like, I, you know, one of them would have taken it and run immediately. Yeah. Like, like what? The whole what? horn storyline is oh, so dumb. <laughs> Hey, Jesus fuck this show. Christ. This show fucking sucks. They just had it. It was just under a chair the whole time. Like, they just had <laughs> it's that. Just, yeah. D- like, it's fine. Also, besides that, they break open the stones, they pull out the horn, and Perrin is like, all right, let's use it to save the city. And they're like, no. No. This no, isn't no, no, for no, no, us. No, no, this no. is for the Dragon Reborn. And it's like, <laughs> you must be new here. There is an army of 20,000 Trollocs between you and the guy you want to give that horn to. What conceivably is the purpose of getting the horn now? Either the Trollocs will lose and you can just give it to him later, mm-hmm. or the Trollocs are going to win and you lose the horn. Right. You just made it easier for them to get it. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened. And like, they couldn't even have exposited. They say it's for the dragon to blow, but they don't say like this is some immensely powerful artifact that only the dragon can use. No, it seems like it's like this a fucking ceremony. It's like we only allow the dragon to use it. Anyone can blow it, and sure, it'll summon the greatest heroes of the pattern at our side. But you're not allowed to do it. It's the rules. <laughs> you have to file the appropriate forms and get permission. <laughs> what a red tape. God and fucking fucking Perrin who. First, has so little imagination that he can't imagine how you help out in a siege if you're not stabbing people. Yeah. And then goes tearing off by himself after Padden Fane without saying anything to anybody. Like, oh, there's a suspicious dude I keep seeing around. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should leave everyone. <laughs> like, like I, really, I, re- I really liked the line that Loyal had about, like, if you don't know what to do, just ask. I was like, oh, yeah. that's really nice. That's yeah. loyal. That, that was great. I'm going to write that on my wall as an inspirational quote. 
shouldn't have been told to do that in the first place, but whatever. If it's just like because Perrin had like a nugget crumb tiniest little bit of a story arc where he was like, Oh, I want I would like to help, but I don't want to do violence like the fucking where the leaf is like there was just like the fucking silhouette of some kind of arc and I'm like, oh, like maybe this could have been good if you if there was literally any time poured into it whatsoever. Like, you know, at the end I notice whenever he picks up the sort of Halberty axe thing to confront Pat and Fate, like he is shaking when he's holding it, like he is very much visibly like holding himself back, like shaking with rage. And I'm like, oh, Marcus kind of put that in there, which is where it, where it clearly wasn't written in there. I think that was a Bardish, the weapon yeah. that he oh, picks okay. up. How, yeah. how dare you? <laughs> what separately got me so fucking steamed about that one scene is when Perrin picks up the Bardish and, you know, Pat and Fane is like, oh, so, you, you know, just a nudge and you'll choose the dark. Buddy, he's not choosing the dark. You're evil. Like, Literally. it's not. It's like, I don't want to get into this, like, fucking black and white morality. Is it evil to kill a bad person who's commanding tens of thousands of forces of dark? Like, come on. Nah, see, I think that's. Um, I saw that as Pat and Fane. Yeah, true. Really just pushing Perrin's buttons. That he yeah, knows true. Perrin has made this decision to choose nonviolence or mm-hmm. wants to choose nonviolence. And is struggling with it in this moment, and so is poking at that wound of like, you're not sure which of these is the correct thing to do. I'm gonna make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, um, I don't know. I think Pat and Fane's whole thing there about like we need the dark. There needs to be balance. Mm. Is like, I mean, it's compelling until you remember that you just walked in on him like stabbing up loyal. Yeah, yeah. And, like with a with a look of sick satisfaction on his face from doing it. Yeah. Like, maybe you need balance, but that's evil. Yeah. But it also kind of, um, in some ways, contrasts with what we've seen the Dark One saying to Rand about, oh, you can just make the world whatever you want. Like, you mm-hmm. could make a world with no darkness in it if that was what you wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, See, that's almost interesting to think about, though, just because I like the idea of there being this sort of philosophical disconnect between the dark one and the people who supposedly serve him, like, you know, mm-hmm. misinterpreting what he says or what he wants. But but then again, the dark one is trying to pitch Rand on breaking the prison and freeing the dark one. Mm. So, you know, he's going to appeal to Rand in ways that appeal to Rand. Yeah. yeah. And Rand is just a just a good boy. <laughs> he's just a good boy from from the two rivers. The Dark One hasn't so far in this series been like called or titled as the father of lies. I don't think he has like no one's no like we don't really know much about the Dark One other than he's Dark One bad. Other like, than he has drip. Yeah, and, that's a good suit. Uh I'm going to talk about that suit in the spoiler zone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so <laughs> There's so many things to talk about in the spoiler zone. <laughs> Um, okay. I'm losing my mind. Here, let's talk about something else to get mad about. <laughs> we have so many other things to get mad yeah. about. At least there was something going on with Perrin. Egwene and Nynaeve were just there. <laughs> oh, so, so I... It, sorry, I just want to say, it's very funny that, like, the thing... The fact that Perrin had more to do than Egwene and Nynaeve in this episode, when, like, the thing that Perrin did was do nothing, specifically. <laughs> and yet that was more of, like, a thing to do. <laughs> Tom. Okay. 
I now have three things to say. Yay! <laughs> the first one is um, the the thing that Nynaeve and Egwene had to do in this episode was to go and be batteries. Pretty much. But very good batteries, very strong. Very powerful batteries, like nine nine volts at least. Um, Duracell's <laughs> finest. That's another scene that really suffers from not setting stuff up earlier because we haven't, I don't think, heard anyone talk about burning out or what can happen if a woman draws too much of the source. Once, when they're fighting, when they're fighting the false dragon. Yeah. And I don't think we've had anyone talk about how it can be hard to let go of the source. That too, yeah. That's true. I mean, I will say, at least in the moment, I kind of understood that. I was like, okay, yeah. It's like when you accidentally electrocute yourself, it's like you're kind of like, you know, paralyzed by it in a little bit and you can't like, maybe that's just a me thing. Have you accidentally electrocuted yourself, Max? Yeah, plugging in my Game Boy Advance SP when I was a kid, I distinctly remember not being able to pull my hand away for a second or two. I... I sort of felt like the not being let, able to let go was set up a bit by the fact that uh, Amelisa wasn't good enough to become an Aes Sedai. It's like mm, she yeah. lacks the skill and training. And also the the visuals when Nynaeve and Egwene get pulled into the circle. And we already know they're some of the most powerful channelers of their generation, mm-hmm. probably. And nobody is prepared for what that feels like when they join yeah. in. Nobody is prepared for that level of power coming mm-hmm. off of these untrained girls. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I really like, and they do convey this later on in that scene, is that it's not just that you can't let go the way it often is with like being electrocuted, where you sort of lose that level of control over your body. Mm-hmm. It's that you don't want to. Yeah, it she It feels loves it. so good. And they eventually get there, but I wish we had had more of that earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really have a complaint so much about, like, why wasn't this established earlier? Because I am satisfied with this being the way that is established. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in those scenes where the the five women who can channel in the city go out and stand in a field and kill everyone... Um, you know, I think the the greatest strength of that scene was like sort of Lady Annalise's like kind of mini arc where she is quite like a weak channeler. She can't really affect anything in the city. And then her brother is like, Annalisa, we're fucking screwed. We're all going to die. And then she steps up, takes charge, grabs power, loves power, can't let go of it. It burns her mm-hmm. through. And I'm like, okay, like that is, that's something. Like, I quite liked it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess I did like it. I didn't like that she has that one line where she looks really desperate and she's like I can't let go yeah mm. and then she transitions into being like this is amazing they yeah. should have skipped the can't and just gone to that mm-hmm. I agree did love her little arc did love her putting on the ancestral armor yeah did love um, that they actually gave us a scene that resolved the problem I had with the last episode about not understanding what the conflict between these two siblings really was about mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I think this episode fixed that problem from the prior one. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things in this scene. There's a one of the other women from the city sort of makes eye contact with Nynaeve. Was she from the household that Land visited? Yeah. Yeah, she had the little red dot on her forehead. Yeah. I went back and checked and it's the same actress. Okay, so they have mm. a moment, which I appreciated. I thought that was cool. Mm. Uh, 
most of my problems with how this ends with Nani being killed and then brought back almost immediately. <sighs> I feel like instead, Nynaeve or Egwene should have had to kill Amalisa. Ooh, damn. I, Spicy. I w- that would have made such a great... <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would have been even... fantastic. <laughs> to save themselves, they have to kill her to get her to stop drawing power. Even, not even as interesting, and I, I think killing her would have been, like, the much better thing to have done, like, you know, in regard to the script itself. But, like, even showing that they're powerful enough to, like, break free of her, you know, sucking all that one power from the sky... And, like, you know, she still ends up dying, uh, uh, Amalisa does, but, like, we didn't need fucking Egwene crying over Nani's body and, like, subconsciously channeling life back into her, like, the fucking end of Pokemon, the first movie. <laughs> like, it just didn't need to happen. Or probably the worst of the different options that we've put out there, just leave it uncertain. Go to black. Maybe yeah. Nynaeve is dead. Leave all of the book readers for a season being like, oh my God, is Nynaeve dead? That's going to change so much. And then you can undo it in the next yeah. season. It's the season finale. <laughs> Give me some kind of cliffhanger. Do what you do do what you did with Loyal to Nynaeve. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I think really bothered me about specifically Nynaeve in that scene is that, um, and again, this is kind of drawing on some book stuff that we talked about in last week's spoilers, but it's like whenever Amelisa is like, when I reach out with you to the power, just like let me draw through you. And just the fact that like Nynaeve, the most stubborn contrarian character, is just like, okay, you can use me as a battery, that's fine. Don't worry about it. I will have no control over the situation. Me who has been trying to control my situation frantically for the last seven episodes, this is fine. Nothing wrong with that. And I was just like It's also implied earlier in the episode that Nynaeve can't willingly touch the source and hasn't yeah. been able to since the first time she accidentally did it. So it's a little weird that she can just like do the thing to open herself up and let somebody else take her source from her. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of makes light of how easy it is to bring somebody back from the brink of death or from death that like uh, yeah. Oh, oops. And it's and it's fixed and it's and and that Egwene <laughs> did it without even knowing she was doing it. Yeah. Right. It feels so subconscious. Yeah. Like I'll buy Nynaeve bringing everyone back who's like you know bleeding out not dead but dying in the cave with Loghain sure because that demonstrates how powerful she is but Egwene's like it was nighttime when Nynaeve quote-unquote died and it was like it's early sunrise when she brings her back so it's like this isn't like this giant burst of energy this is like her sobbing over her body for an hour or two and then it's fine it's just like I do believe in Nynaeve. I do. I do. I do believe in Nynaeve. I do believe in wisdoms. Raise your hand for Egwene's spirit bomb. Uh, Oh, God. I did really like, uh, in the lead up to the the big battles outside Faldara, uh, the minute the king said, oh, I'm going to the wall, I was like, oh, he thinks they're going to lose. He knows they're all doomed. Okay. Mm, We're doing this. He is such a bad commander. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is is one of my pet peeves about (laughs) these, like, medieval setting fantasy stories. Like, he is such a bad commander. Every every decision he makes is wrong. Was he a bad commander in the books? Because No, he's an amazing commander in the books. Well, again, the author... Uh, went to like a military academy. Like that's his background, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I think Robert Jordan was famously like a Vietnam war vet. Um, 
doesn't I, I mean this is book spoiler stuff but i guess he's dead so it's not possibly <laughs> show spoiler stuff isn't agomar one of the like great generals uh no you may be thinking of ingatar or Iteralda or bashir like no he's not one of them he's just a guy who kind of like i think in the books you know he runs valdara but he's sort of just normal with it Nothing particularly special about him. According to the wheeloftime.fandom.com slash wiki slash Agalmar Jagad, Agalmar Jagad, Lord of Faldara, is blah blah blah, spoilers stuff. He is one of the five great captains of the Westlands. Wait. Fucked up. I will accept your apology when you're ready to give it. <laughs> cool. Keep waiting. Uh, I mean, Bottle was just kind of bad. Like yeah. it, was, it was very dramatic, you know, it was very fun when there was the big thing of lightning and all the Trollocs disintegrated. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. cool, wow, wow, cool fucking final smash. Yeah, really, you, you burn your meter. I mean, uh. extremely, we had to do this in CGI because COVID happened. Yeah. Scene right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, not ugh. until after everyone else got killed. Love, love yeah. to draw my sword and gallop across the battlefield to go and take up positions in my fortress where I get off my horse, put my sword away, and grab a crossbow. Um, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even notice that because I just, like, kind of just switched off for the battle scenes. I was like, all right, Helm's Shallow, here we go. You'd also, you'd also be forgiven to not notice it because it's fucking, once again, Game of Thrones level dark hard to see in this whole fucking yeah. fight. Yeah. This whole episode was like the Drill Candles tweet. <laughs> where they spent all their money on candles yeah. instead of story. And yeah. then they tried to use those candles to light the whole episode. Please help, my season is dying. <laughs> so another show. one that the the fighting at the wall felt super anticlimactic to me. Yeah, he loads and fires a crossbow three times. And, and then, then gets the spear in the chest, yeah. And as he dies, as the blood fills his lungs... If only I wore my father's armor, none of this would have happened. <laughs> well, and it's no hordes pouring over the wall. They just get through one of the doors. I know. Yeah. And they, like a they dozen could have torn the entire come freaking wall down. <laughs> hey. Uh, the, 20, like, the only, of them. The only thing I can give this is that the battle felt shitty and anticlimactic because, you know, it wasn't the last battle and you know it did like it wasn't going to be something big because it was literally just a random trollic battle well not random like a sort of one-off trollic incursion and this wasn't the last this was the first battle so this was the first battle maybe that's why it was bad or not bad just underwhelming this ties into another problem i had with this episode which is that the blight looks good mm -hmm. when they're in it but what is the threat of the blight? We're told over and over again that it's a threat. We see bodies, but Rand and Moiraine are never more than briefly inconvenienced by a bad dream. That that stuff starts growing on him. Yeah. They nearly have a tree fall on them. <gasps> Only in the dream does it start growing on him. He mm. wakes up in the real world and is like, he's fine. Yeah. You know, is it... Is it poisonous? Does it like move and snatch you? Are there mm -hmm. animals? Do you just fall asleep and die? Like, how did this little young man die? What happened to him? And I can like fill in ideas like, oh, normally it would be full of Trollocs and stuff, except they've all been gathered for this battle, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. happening to the south. Or, yeah, I think it's to the sure. south. And like, 
okay, maybe the show should have implied that yeah. or said it. Um, and that leads to another important question, which Rand and Moraine should have asked each other, which is, why is the Dark One letting us come to him? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because when they when they like they walk in and then they look behind them like an hour later and they're like, oh, all the Trollocs are attacking Faldara. How did they mm-hmm. get? Did they go past them? Did they go around them? Like, where did? Why didn't they see any Trollocs? Right. What? Well, and this becomes even more of a problem with Lan following after them. Like, <laughs> yeah. are you telling me? I, I, I'll accept the Dark One wants Rand to come to him, and so he has the Trollocs go in a big circle around <laughs> Lan and Moraine. <laughs> But you're telling me that there were like 20,000 Trollocs moving through the Blight and Lan encountered none of them? Yeah. <sighs> Mostly, I think to me it was just very funny when like Lan shows up at the end and I'm like, oh yeah, Lan from earlier. Yeah, Lan from Wheel of Time. <laughs> Lan from the books. There's this scene where, um, you know, he says some very nice stuff to Nynaeve, which first of all, what the fuck is this shit with Elmurine uh, has a tail? What? what? Okay, what is it? Can you tell me? Just kind of random. Like, what is it? Um, and and Lan, her companion for decades, has not noticed. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, oh, hi, I have this very convenient way that I can tell you about that you will be able to follow Elmurine without me. You don't need me to go. You can go yourself and I can stay here and do fucking nothing. But just like, you know, he leaves and you sort of, from that setup, you expect that it's going to pay off and that he's going to show up at like an opportune dramatic moment and, I know, be of some kind of assistance. No, he just kind of shows up at the end when Moraine is looking at her cool rock. Also, hang on. Sorry, this only just occurred to me. How does Moraine know how to get to the Eye of the World? If all of the records of it in the tower were destroyed by dark friends? All the records of its purpose. All the records of why it exists, not where it is you could make an argument make like and again this isn't shown in the show at all maybe the blight just gets more dense and fucked up and that's how you know you're going in the right direction and i mean like they see the seven towers of malkir and moraine like says oh yeah these weren't here like a couple years ago or whatever like the blight is it and this again goes back to just like the blight is really cool and fucked up and no he won't show you how like (laughs) we just you just have to know that it is and like that the blight somehow comes from the eye of the world but, uh, I mean, the eye itself is cool. The blight comes from the eye of the world, and then when you get to the eye of the world, there's pretty much no blight there. It's yeah. fine. Uh, uh, but but follow up. If Moraine has a way of navigating through the blight to get to the eye of the world, why can't Lan just do the same thing? He knows exactly where she's going. He doesn't need to track her. <laughs> oh, yeah. He knows where they're going. <sighs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. My, my, other, my other issue... I thought the scene between Nynaeve and Lan was like smidge too long. I was like, okay, so are we giving up the idea that he's this taciturn dude? Like, I get that he loves her and he's being romantic, but he's still a taciturn guy. Like, are we just scrapping that completely? Uh, What else is there about him as a character? (laughs) I, I I would like to talk about something that, I like and it makes me happy. Um, Boo, get out of here. Okay, but we're coming back to the blight. I have more to say about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say it. (laughs) Oh, you want me to just go now? Yeah, With another thing that makes me mad? The the thing that I like that makes me happy has very little to do with the blight. (laughs) Okay. I just want to cheer myself up. How big is the blight actually? Moraine says at one point, like, oh, uh, three years ago, it was miles from Tarwin's Gap. So we know it's like, miles and then a bunch more miles and it's covered the entire the entirety of Malkier and also like 
the blight should be huge, right? Mm -hmm. And they seem to travel through it in less than a day because they sleep for like, I don't know, not very long. They, they have don't have nap. any provisions. Um, we see like the day come to an end because that's when the battle happens. Mm. So right. it seems like they've been traveling for like a day at most two days. Yeah. But like walking speed on good roads is like 15 miles a day, even for an experienced person walking. Mm -hmm. Walking through a forest slows that down significantly. Walking through the blight. And you stop like, and take little snack naps. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I doubt they could do six miles a day in that. Yeah. Even before they get there, she says the eye is a day's journey from Feldara. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So call mm -hmm. that eight to ten hours walking. And they leave before dawn. It's just kind of very underwhelming. Of, like, for a finale, for, like, the eye of the world, they're, like, you know, the, the challenge to get to the eye of the world is there's absolutely no sort of physical challenge. It's just like, oh, it's over there, you can walk to it. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a very sort of mystical... Um, dark oh this is where the dark one's prison is this is like the ultimate the final destination it's like no you like any level one character can just walk over there if they wanted to if there's mm -hmm. no trollocs in the blight like it's fine don't yeah. worry about it just not ve not very not very finale-esque mm -hmm. yeah they did get pretty sweaty though mm. it's true moraine looks the most disheveled we've seen yeah. <laughs> the whole season <laughs> I think, yeah, I think the, the eye being like a step well was so cool. Yeah. I, I love the That was the one design. of the things that made me like hoot and holler at the screen. But it does make me think of a like reverse of the vessel at Hudson Yards. I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of that, but the, I mean, it, it was a cheesy corporate art thing built for this park that's absolutely a tax boondoggle, but. Oh, the, the weird like basket thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, was yeah. that the fucked up little pine cone? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. I know what you're on about. It's that, but reverse. It goes down instead of up. Um, it's cool. It's like it's like a freaking Skyrim temple. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of um has anyone read Annihilation? Yes. It reminded me like it vaguely reminiscent of the tunnel mm -hmm. or the tower, depending on who you ask. It was a cool place. Um still never explained the apostrophe, but whatever. That's fine. Maybe that's a season two thing. Yeah, we did we did see the sort of um, what's the that symbol apostrophe. called? The apostrophe. Oh my god! Do you um? <laughs> have we talked about that in spoiler zone yet? Have you? I think we have. I, I think okay. you told me the name of it, but I don't know if we talked in like the actual like meaning of it. Okay. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about this episode, and this kind of comes on to the eye of the world, like their confrontation in the eye of the world. I was very happy that it was like dream and vision based. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. and like by far the the two strongest moments in this episode are both the like dream visions that Rand has, like the fucking first one when he wakes up and there's stuff growing over him, and then Moraine like Just talks gets, to him. Just like the fucking hidden blade Assassin's Creed through the mouth. Yeah, and it's like you know that is great. That's that's when we first get to see like the Dark One's like suit outfit, which is we really, love that. Um, love the the, the that and the uh, the fashion of three thousand years ago. Um, 
And then the fact that whenever Rand like wakes up for real and Moiraine says the exact same thing that she said in his yeah. dream trip, like I'm freaking the fuck out. I'm like, oh my God, like, are we just going to be waking up forever and ever more? Like the, the, <laughs> the, the, the fact that the dialogue she says is the same as the dream dialogue just like drives the tension through the roof. And I'm like, oh my God, finally some good fucking writing. Yeah, I thought that was good. I thought the um, Rand testing Egwene in the other dream, like, do you remember this thing that only like you would remember? And then her passing the test, because obviously the Dark One is just like tapped into his brain and yeah. has his memories too. Like, I thought that was great. I thought yeah. that was brilliant. And Loved like, it. I think the ultimate like hoot and holler moment of this episode is whenever, like, you know, the, the Dark One is like, but what the fuck are you doing? You could like remake the world to be like whatever you want. And the, the line of Rand going, but what about what she wants? I was like, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that hits yeah. so fucking good. That hits so fucking good. Reject chauvinism. Okay, those are the two things I liked this episode. <laughs> yeah, can get I mean, back to saying Rand, about the things you didn't like. Rand gets a couple of really great moments, actually. Mm-hmm. I love when he says to Moraine, Oh, you thought it would be Egwene. Me mm-hmm. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do I like thought that was like, fantastic. What would Moraine's plan have been if it were Egwene? That Sangriel would be useless. Maybe she just has two Funko Pops. Yeah. Moraine opens up her cloak like a shady guy <laughs> selling watches. Yeah, like, like the, I've got the a fucking song Resident Evil 4 shopkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> what are you boying? Yeah, I really liked the the you know, not so much the not so much the physical journey that Rand and Moraine take through the blight, but the sort of as they are going deeper and deeper in, Rand just because it's just the two of them, continues to sort of like peck at her with questions yeah. and be like, Okay, Moraine, like, what's the deal? Like um, are you going to teach me how to channel? Oh, didn't you think it was going to be Egwene? Like, and just like, they have this chance to be these two characters alone together and Rand mm-hmm. being like, okay, give me information now, please. Um, and Moraine yeah. is just like disheveled and letting it fly loose from her. And the bit when they actually reach the eye and he tries once more to give her an out. It's like, well, you got me here, you know, and you think yeah. you're going to die in this fight. So, and she's like, no, I have this dagger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I did actually really like, even if it was kind of like ineffective and pointless and probably wouldn't have worked, I liked the sort of emotional beat of Moiraine being like, I am ready to kill this child. But totally. then ultimately mm-hmm. like her trust in him comes through and, you know, she she sees that he was channeling using the Sangreal and that she was right to do it. So, and, you know, she is proof right. And, you know, the other thing I like about the dagger is that you know, as soon as she tries to channel against uh, the Dark One, like her power is taken from her. But oh, actually, what's that you've got there, Maureen? <laughs> a knife. What, what have I got in my pockets? Um, yeah, I, I, I complained about the dagger earlier because it is a bad plan, but people yeah. make bad plans all the time. And when you're going to kill Satan, you don't know what you're getting into. Yeah, gotta have a yeah. backup knife. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then... Speaking of the dynamic between the two of them changing, by the time we get to the very end, Rand is like, oh, just figure out a way to convince everyone that I'm dead. You've got this. Yeah, yeah. I like that he's telling her what to do now. You owe me one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. God, I feel like Rand leaving was less the decision that he would have made as a character and more the writers want him to be by himself in season two. So they did that. Doesn't really feel authentic. I'm just, he just left. I'm like, okay, goodbye, I guess. They made a point of showing us how the insanity affected the false dragon. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if they really wanted us to think about, oh, Rand is going insane now, they could have shown us like at, immediately after this fight, one of the voices comes and starts talking to Rand. Yeah. Or something. Because he tells Moraine that he's like, he's like, yeah, like, I, I, I felt it, the, the beginning of madness. I'm like, fucking Did when? You? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Liar. I'm well, wondering but he had the, the, if... like, the black oily channeling stuff happening. Yeah. But he didn't but see anything that wasn't there. Channel, though, right? Well, I'm wondering if what they meant by, oh, I felt it. Like, I'm wondering what if what he actually felt was the, uh, you know, the black corruption on the pyre. I wonder if that's what he meant when he said, I felt the badness and not, Maybe. I felt my mind going insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still a weird reason to fuck off forever, though. Yeah, I feel like if they had shown us more to indicate that the madness was starting, then his decision mm-hmm. to leave would make more sense. Yeah, because it's a fucking insane decision from a bad person. Yeah. They also showed us earlier in the prior episode, I think, that this is not actually the first time he has channeled. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So... Yeah, which is why his question of like, oh, what, how do I, Maureen, can you show me how to channel? Like, what happens if I don't channel? And then she sits down and tells this like whole entire story, which for starters, kind of a weird story, like um, yeah. to just sit down and tell the whole thing in the middle of, but never mind, but just like. Maureen is just trauma dumping on him. Yeah. She really is. is not a- I don't understand okay. why he doesn't trust that he will be able to channel when the moment comes when he has done it twice before in far less stressful moments. Yeah. yeah, And also that he wouldn't just tell Maureen like, actually I've channeled a couple of the times before but I, I don't I can't do it on command. Can you help me with this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Whatever. Especially coming from Maureen and how cagey uh, she's been with them with information and how uh, sort of high handed she is telling people what to do. I completely buy her thinking that oh, if he thinks he knows how to channel, that's actually more dangerous than if we just wait for things to get bad enough to force him. Mm. <laughs> that's yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. That that's feels fair. true to her. <laughs> okay. I will say, him questioning his own ability to channel does come back and makes sense or makes a later moment make sense, which is whenever he is like, show me how. Because what that moment feels like to me is he is wrangling a free channeling lesson out of the dark one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like he gets shown Clever boy. and ex- actually explained how to yeah. touch the one power. And I'm like, it, it it does seem to me like he has made that, said that as a calculated move to get that free channeling lesson rather than yeah. actually being tempted by the Dark One. Agreed. Mm-hmm, I absolutely. think once he actually starts to feel the power, mm-hmm. he's slightly tempted. Like once he actually accesses it, I think there's a yeah. moment where he's like, hmm. Yeah. Especially because he's using this fantasy that he has to get that access to the power. And so, like, having it, feeling as though he could have it and it's right there and he has to deny himself this thing in order to complete the mission. I think that moment looks difficult on his face. Very good acting there from Yosha. Yeah, no, there's, like, tears welling up in his eyes as he's doing it. It's very good. Because it's kind of the opposite arc of uh, Annalise's arc, where she's like, oh, power, I love this. I can't let it go. And Rand is like, no, I will let this go. Yeah. I've seen Because I love my girlfriend. Well, and that then inverts what we've been told about the prior Dragon Reborn, Luz there in Telamon. Um, And we're told sort of that, like, he was too 
in love with his own power, too proud and confident that he let his hubris get the better of him and led all the men into this uh, disastrous attempt to defeat the Dark One, while the women stayed behind to, like, remain humble and clean up his mess. Hmm. That's, that scene, God, that, such a weird way to open the episode. See, I, like, there was a lot I really liked about that scene. I love hearing the old tongue, tongue spoken. I love seeing this society established visually. Um, but, like, why that scene? It really did not give us any information. Like, there are plenty of far more dramatic scenes that the episode could have opened with that I can get into in spoilers if we can be bothered. It just, it gave us nothing. It gave us, here's Luz there and he did something. Are you going to say, like, to do with the Dark or like, what did, what did, what, what did he do? What's going on? What, could, could, could the finale please explain to me what is happening? At least show what is happening? I'm going to push back. I liked this. <laughs> like Rand, he is making the decision to go into a confrontation that he is not prepared for and, like, cannot handle but thinks he can because mm. 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 you do have the parallel between Lusterin and the Amarlin seat in the mm-hmm. cold open the and then ta- it's like Tamerlin seat what did you say the Tamerlin seat yeah the Tamerlin seat very very important it's like keeper of the flame now that was what just like the way that they referred to each other with their full names and their whole titles and it's like oh just look into the camera when you tell me this, okay? I don't care. Like, it's, it's, it's just such a weird... And again, yeah, it needs to be expository, but it just... It did feel like a weird way to explain it, especially because it's like... I get that we they wanted to show who the old dragon was, so that when the Dark One refers to Rand as Luz Theron, we know who that is. But it's like... Like, I feel like this is stuff that we either could have intuited or didn't even need to know. It's like, okay, so the Aes Sedai used to be men and women, but we knew that men can't use the power anymore, and we knew that it's because of the Dark One. So I feel like a lot of it was kind of superfluous. It was just like kind of, here's a reminder, audience, of what happened 3,000 years ago mm-hmm. in this flying car society. No. Oh, um, speaking of the flying cars, actually, I noticed, or actually, I think this was from like a comparison shot on Twitter somewhere. The, the the view outside of Luz Theron's window is the same as those like abandoned towers in the first episode at Monetherin. Yeah. Um which is cool to see. I really liked the design of the room. I liked the the way they did the costume design for three thousand years in the past. I thought the shout out the window felt really cheesy. It was really cheesy. It's, it was, it's, it, and the it, sound like, effects of the little flying cars. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is bad. Nina, if you can't appreciate a little car going, Pium, <laughs> I don't know what to say to you. It does the fucking Jetsons noise as it goes by. <laughs> yeah, I've seen fucking the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. <laughs> I would watch a spinoff sitcom set 3,000 years in the past with these people, with this family. Call it, you know, the dragons or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The good dragons. (laughs) And then, oh no, my landlord, the dark one, can't find out that I'm actually (laughs) keeping a a real live dragon in my apartment. Oh my god. (sighs) Just, I really thought that that scene was going to be, like, the opening scene I thought they were going to like come back to it during the episode. Like they were going to finish the three thousand years ago flashback and be like, "Here's what he went and did." 
when they got to the other world and I mean they sort of did they had the weird like Rand give a little speech about remembering stuff weird um, and there's a flash of Luz there and like kneeling and touching the ground yeah yeah and the little ghosts but we really didn't get any kind of resolution on that yeah really. again season, season should have been nine episodes not eight fucking ten even <laughs> genuinely yeah maybe in ten I, I am so many questions about like what got cut like why is it like this because like the rest of the season was so good, like comparatively, that like there is, there has to be some kind of like production, like and not even mm-hmm. just COVID, like, like what happened here? Yeah, we can probably be fine just saying it's Jeff Bezos's fault. Yeah, everything. <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Yeah, those things are. Yeah. So I have one last thing that I liked that didn't really connect to anything else. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bring it up now, but Min. Min mm. leaves. Min my, is my not going to stick around mm-hmm. to find out what happens. Although she is Shinaran, right? Like she's supposed to, but no, that's yeah. not her jam at all. And she's getting out while the getting's good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like she knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. she also read the script and knows that she'll have to come back to like read the future for different characters <laughs> further on. So she needs to survive until then. Yeah. 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 I did actually yeah. really like the, the line where they're like, every Shinaran woman and child will stay and fight. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah you know, like, that, that one got right. me. That's cool. Girl boss shit. I, I'm here for it. Yep. Well, and then the, the actual action while she's saying all this is a bunch of women loading siege machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, grabbing weapons, getting the city prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked the, um, a bunch of them were wearing these like faded blue shirts that looked like gi. They look like martial arts gi with the, that are like tied to keep the sleeves out of the way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. Yeah. And then they don't need them because Amelisa just obliterates them with lightning and blah, blah, blah. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. Mm. <gasps> mm. Um, Oh, I have so many complaints Ooh, <laughs> about that battle. Ooh. It's just, I like, I don't, there's not that much more I can say without um, going into spoilers. Oh, the the final scene, the far Western shore scene. Yay, xenophobia, let's go. The scene of phobia. So mm. unnecessary. Extremely unnecessary. Since the entire rest of, of this episode has been about setting up the next season. I know. Yeah. We did not need this other, like, look, there's a threat on the horizon. We know! It's, there's nothing but threats on the horizon. And, like, the fucking scene itself could have been done so much better. It's like, because, you know, we see a single girl playing on the beach and all the birds fly away and there's just... It was so random. Why did she get there? What's she doing? What the fuck? Does it, the sails are red, which is how you know they're evil. And they have <laughs> face paint, which is how you know they're evil. And they channel. And they've got spikes all over their ships. And they just like channel a tidal wave at nothing. There's not a town there that they're attacking. They're just saying like, look what we can do. But no one's there. They don't know a little girl's on the... <sighs> Maybe they really hit that little girl. They want to help her collect shells because when you pull the tidal wave out, it exposes a bunch of the, the exactly. shore. So they're just going to hold that wave up while she collects God. all the best shells. Then once she goes home, they're going to land and uh, then, you know, do stuff. Fine. Yeah. I mean, the the best thing would have been if they could have shown like the army landing 
I feel yeah. like. But yeah. that's expensive. Yeah, they didn't have enough and time to fill CGI in the extras. And a CGI wave. Just God, I have like a full, like a full entire page of my notes is just like about the fucked up, like uh, sort of just the way they look. Like, remember when I was talking about uh, Swan's tattoos and I said it's really refreshing that they feel like a self-contained, realistic, like, style of tattooing from a society that exists in this world and that they didn't just, like, take, like, Maori, like, moko tattoos and, oh, no, that's where they put the moko tattoos. They just, they just give them to the, like, the, the colonizing force. Nothing, yep. nothing suspicious about all the sort of quote-unquote tribal aesthetics mm. of white to this invading mm. army of, I, like... Seems bad. <sighs> Yeah, I'm I'm really worried about I was already worried about how they were going to handle the Shanchen and now I'm more worried. Mhm. I was so god. I was it was so funny to me though because this is basically like the ships and every their whole deal the color palette. It's basically the aesthetic of the orcs from Warcraft. Uh and if you are old enough to remember Warcraft 2, the opening cinematic is a fleet. It's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. It's a fleet of orc ships with red sails and spikes and skulls all over them arriving at this foreign land. Yeah. This was an episode for the gamers and that... It really was. That is not a good sign. <laughs> I'm so nervous for season two. Like, you know, um, I, I did some like time maths and like... Isis, Isis would have started probably designing um, the real world designs in like mid 2019. They started filming like in late 2019, and then the overlap between those that's like a full six months of like just designing stuff for the real world. And there's all these cultures, and it kind of looks good and all put together and makes sense. And like the final scene feels like she had like a day to just pull something out of her ass. Mm -hmm. And, like, someone just, like, gave her a post-it note with the word, like, exotic on it. And then she did the worst possible thing. Like, and then the thing is, that's the main, that's the fucking season two plotline. And you've got to, like, you've you've designed those aesthetics. And you've got to commit to that thing because you've already put it on screen. So, presumably Mm -hmm. when they show up in season two, they've got to look the same. Which is bad. Bad. Yeah. I will say one nice thing about them. When we get a close-up of um, the women giving the orders, they are wearing these outfits with, like, so many collars, like, nested yeah. collars. Those looked good. Like, it lo- it all looks really cool. Like, the fucking, the ships with the spikes on them look really cool. Like, the aesthetic, it looks cool. It's just that I know that the role of these people is a colonizing force, and that's that's what makes it fucked up. It's not, like, the designs themselves that look fucking sick. That's yeah, it, yeah. I'm concerned. Con- continuing on the small gamer tangent, all the collars layered up does look like Turian armor from Mass Effect. Mm. Gamer times. There's, there's like there's a shot from behind where it's like this like sort of hump. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just, oh, it's 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 exhausting. It is exhausting. <laughs> like like I, what what if a plot thread resolved <laughs> for once? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm just I'm fantasizing a scene in season two where they're like, "Oh, did you wear those like weird costumes that we asked you to wear for the invasion?" And they're like, "Yeah." <laughs> and they just can we change back normal. into our regular clothes now? Yeah. 
Yeah, they, they get off the boat and they're wearing like fucking basketball shorts <laughs> and Henley tops. <laughs> this is like the, the um, <laughs> just wearing like hoodies. Yeah, <laughs> just just normal fuck modern day Levi jeans. Like fucking, Mike, you were talking about, like when you're talking about like Xenoblade 2 and like the most weird ethereal like characters just have like r- regular Iowa accents. It's kind of like that, but for costume. Yep. They're like everyone's like, oh, the the these group of people whose name we haven't got, but it's fucking Sean Sean. Like, oh, they look so exotic and wild, and it's just basketball shorts. Very good stuff. Um, shall we uh, haul our asses over to the spoiler zone so we can get mad once again, but this time for book reasons? Yes. Let's say yes. let's say yeah. goodbye to our favorite listeners first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bye, favorite listeners. We'll see you. In the next season. Oh shit! Actually, before we end the spoiler next zone, next week, right? Um, are we do, aren't we doing? We're yeah. just doing a wrap up next week, aren't we? Oh, yeah. That's we'd right. like to do a wrap up. Maybe not next week. Um, I think because if we leave it until this episode has has come out. Oh, true. People can hear our so good people takes can and, hear and our email takes. us and say, "Oh, I'm so glad that you all were right about everything." Yeah. <laughs> so I think so. This episode will come out on the 18th. If we give people another few days, a week from then, yeah. and then record our... Okay, so listeners, you have until the 31st of January to send us anything you want us to talk about. Um, just things that we missed in the show. We will have our own lists of things we want to go through. Um, but I kind of want to, like, you know, cast a wide net and, and scoop up everything that we missed. Uh, so if you have questions for us, discussion points you want us to get to, if you just have like comments and things, um, we will go through all the emails we get and use them to fill in any gaps um, in our discussion. I that would be wonderful. The email is nevermindthetrollocks at gmail dot com, uh, which is in the episode description. Okay, now that we're finished being mad about the episode, goodbye, favorite listeners. Let's go get mad about the other parts of the episode. Let's go! All right, Sarah, I know you cannot wait to get to this, but that is not the dark one. No no chance in hell. No chance in the eye of the world. That is not the dark one. I assume, since this person has been mentioned several times in the season, that that's Ishmael. Going by a different name, probably. Because um, Dana mentioned him, and then also yeah. um, Stepan mentioned him. And the, they do a couple of things even in this episode to hint at that. Yes. I think having the Dark One call him lose yeah. is like is a big giveaway because like if the Dark One is eternal and has seen many dragons reborn over the years, right. there's no Why reason to fixate on that one? particular one. Right. Why would he be dressed in the same style of clothing as Luce Theron unless he was a contemporary? Mm-hmm. But the big one is that gold ring he has on his hand. Yeah. Which Luce has in the first scene. And so either they mass produced oh, those. Yeah. Yes, he does, he does when he touches the baby. So either they mass produced those 3,000 years ago or he just took that one from Luce Theron. Ah. I think my, my biggest gripe is not so much that it just feels weird that. He's credited as the Dark One, but it also, it feels like the show wants the viewer to think that this is the Dark One very, very badly. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. They can't credit him as the dark one, dot, 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 exclamation point. <laughs> or question mark. Well, question it just mark. feels, yeah. but it does feel like it doesn't fit that on the one hand, oh, our mission kind of failed and actually this is just the beginning. But wouldn't it wouldn't it be a shortcut to conveying that to be like, oh, that wasn't actually the dark one? Yeah. Like, and the fact yeah. that, you know, Ishamael has been mentioned at least twice um, yeah. this season. He, he has been, like, set up fairly perfectly to, uh, like, there is, the audience, there's no, the audience doesn't need, I don't think the audience needs to be convinced that this character is the dark one. I think that Rand and Maureen need to be convinced that this character is the dark one, which is, sure, fairly easy to do, but, like, which is why there's my basically my gripe is that Ishamael was not in the opening scene in the Age of mm. Legends. Mm-hmm. Like I think that what needed to happen was that Ooh, yeah. the intro that scene needed to have Ishamael either, you know, could be fucking their final showdown as Luz Theron, the big dramatic, the fucking Eye of the World prologue. The one that everyone knows and loves the books for. Or could have, you know, maybe they ran out of time, maybe they didn't have any budget. Whatever. It could have been a different scene with Ishamael in it. He could have just walked up to Luz and been like, are you ready? Let's go. If he was in that final sentence, if he was in that opening scene, it means that when we have the moment in the dream where he does the sick, gnarly thing of pushing the arrow into his eye, the audience get to recognize him and go, oh, like, this isn't like, this isn't actually the dark one. And then whenever Rand is being, I lied, this wasn't the final sentence, I've got one more sentence to say. And then whenever Rand is being, like, tempted by him in the dreamscape, the audience get to sit there and be like, oh, Rand, that's not actually the dark one, he's lying to you, ooh. And you know, whenever he dies and smiles, you get to be like, oh, it was all a trick all along. And like, that's satisfying and good. But instead, you're just like, ah, this is Satan. Satan is this Lebanese guy. <laughs> I I mean, I agree with that. I think I want to believe that in future seasons, they're going to keep coming back to this 3000 years ago flashback yeah. and they're going to give us more information about it. Because I noticed when Rand has his like puzzle pieces speech and he has his little flash of, of you know, the ghosts of mm-hmm. Luz Theron and the Dark One, the Dark One there, um, you know, it's ambiguous what's going on between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And so if you think it's the Dark One or on a first watch, you're like, oh, they're facing off. They're about to have a fight and, and Luz Theron lost. But then if you're coming in with book knowledge, you're like, oh, no, Ishmael is there as Rand's like, second in command or hands Ishmael <laughs> is there as Luz Theron's second in command and he's like this is the moment when he betrays him mm. this is the moment he was like haha actually yeah and we even have the setup for that Dana explains that Ishmael brought the last dragon to the dark one yeah that that's why he was rewarded with immortality and why everybody remembers him and we've seen in prior episodes that they're willing to sort of go back to previous scenes that have been skipped or given short shrift mm-hmm. to to flesh them out a little bit more. So maybe maybe that's what we'll get in future seasons. Yeah. I hope it is. Like, you know, I think they've proven themselves to be good writers with time and resources. does actually make me quite concerned that filming for uh, season two is backed directly onto season three. Very concerning about, like, a production schedule that doesn't... Like, I would like a production schedule that allows them to have the time to make an actual good show instead of a fast show. Um, You know, I I think that the writing choices made now 
can be paid off later. Mm-hmm. I think my disappointment is just like, this is a finale. This is the time in the season to pull, pull out all the big guns, like reveal all the information and them just withholding that for future seasons as like a little bit to get us to keep paying Amazon Prime's subscription fees so that the, the, the show is profitable really frustrates me. It just makes for bad TV. I do wonder if part of the problem was that they didn't know that they were going to have the additional seasons until fairly late in the process. Mm. And so they had to write this episode for the most part as though it was going to be the last episode of the show, the big showdown with the Dark One. And it's only once you know you're going to have more seasons that you can then say, actually, this isn't the Dark One. It's all a trick. Mm. The real Dark One is in another castle. (laughs) Yeah. Similar to the sort of like, oh, when did when did Maureen figure it out? Like, when did they know? When did they when did they know that they could change these like bits? Well, and, um, you know, I don't know a ton about the behind the scenes for making a show like this, but like, when did different stakeholders sign on to different versions of the script Mm. and the plans? And like, when were the costume people given their instructions? When did the CGI people start working on things? At a certain point, it's too late to make big changes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, My my experience of movie is that everything fucking happens at once within as short a time (laughs) frame as possible. And it shouldn't be like that. Um, support your local film unions. So, uh, in terms of predictions for where we think the story goes next, Mm -hmm. I think the girls go off to the White Tower to become Aes Sedai. Yeah. Uh, Perrin maybe gets wrapped up in some kind of journey to get the horn back. Yeah. Like, if, if Matt was here, I would say, oh, the girls go to the White Tower, Rand fucks off to, I don't know, wander in the wilderness and go and do random things and then Perrin and Matt mm-hmm. get to go chase after the horn. Um, yeah. Matt not being here is a bit weird, complicates things. I mean, it could very well be that Perrin goes back to Tarvalon and gets n- new Matt, Matt too, and then they go off to find the fucking horn together because Matt has the most stake in tracking down Pat and Fane. Yeah, because... I mean, I assume my prediction is... They have to take Loyal to the tower to be healed because he got stabbed by the Cursed Dagger. Oh, shit, yeah, it was the Cursed Dagger that stabbed him. Loyal goes to the mm-hmm. de- to the tower with the girls and Perrin, and they do the big healing scene with, like, six yellow sisters for Loyal there. Mm-hmm. Matt joins up with Perrin, hiding the darkness within him. He wants and- the dagger back. He wants the dagger. Yeah. Perrin wants the horn. Perrin blames himself for failing to stop Pat and Fane. So they go off, maybe with Tom, uh, to get the horn back. Mm-hmm. Rand goes to the Aiel Waste. Rand's Connect go- with his roots. Mm-hmm. Rand's doing the the speed run. Um, he's he's skipping ahead to the Aiel Waste. Doing the Roidian skip. And then he's going to meet up. He's going to meet back up with uh, Matt when they both wind up in that that city. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was it called? Uh, Roidian. Roidian. Yeah. It might be um, Roidian. I can't read. I think it's Freudian. <laughs> yeah, it's a Freudian. It's the Freudian slip. Freudian. <laughs> Yeah, I think my predictions, honestly, would be that the the part of the books in which Rand is off by himself is when he's traveling to the Stone of Tear, um, and I'm like wondering if part of his being removed from the rest of the crew is so he can do that kind of bit where he wanders around, causes a bunch of weddings and stuff, and ends up like pulling the sword from the stone type shit. Um, 
I don't know. See, I think that last scene of Rand, like cresting the hill and looking out, uh, I think he like looks out at the blight and then I think it's the Aiel waste that he sees beyond oh, it. Oh, okay. Interesting. And there's a nice, there's a nice kind of like, cause like in the books, there's a whole thing about any Aiel boys who are born with the ability to channel, like go out into the blight and just kill as many like Trollocs as they can until they get taken. Mm. Uh, and so this is kind of that in reverse. Rand is this young Aiel boy who has developed the ability to channel and he's going out of the blight and into the wastes. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I never thought of that. Subversion of expectations. Yeah. Sarah, didn't you want to talk about um, Ishamael's cool? Or I, I guess it's like... Yeah, my, my comment about his outfit is just like, oh, like it's it's a very well-established, like they have the opening scene. It's like, here's the, the fashion style of uh, 3,000 years ago. And then Ishamael shows up and he's wearing that kind of stuff. And it's like, ooh, 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 ooh. Um, well, again. Further, further ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh. Uh, in that opening scene, the female Aes Sedai is wearing all white, the male Aes Sedai all black. Ishmael, mm. mixture of the two. Mm. Whoa! Wow. And when he channels, icon. there's no there's no oil in his channeling. His sidene is clean. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. And I, I noticed that actually, like, I think another prediction is that I don't think Moiraine is stilled. Okay. Um, I think she's just got, a, like, a permanently tied off shield because whenever uh, she, like... But the scene of Logan being stilled or gentled, like he had stuff coming out of him, like stuff yeah. came out of him, mm-hmm. but nothing like no white goop comes out of Moraine to indicate that she has yeah. permanently lost the ability. I think she just has this very solid shield um, because, you know, after he does the thing, he does this weird like, and there's like a little ball of power that I yeah. think that's just like him like locking her cage. Yeah, uh-huh. it, it looks like he's tying it off. Yeah. Which is definitely a thing that can be done. In the he suppressed books. her key. Uh, yeah. And and we do see like power flows into her, not out of yeah. her. Uh-huh. Yeah. I imagine it's the kind of thing that only Ishamael or Rand could undo. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I sort of I sort of think that you know Maureen will be dealing with that for this season and then at some point, you know, she'll be coming out of her cage and she'll be doing just fine. Yeah. Um <laughs> Maybe, maybe it will be Loghain who unties the, the shield. Whoa. Wait, he's gentle. He is still held captive. Maybe he'll yeah. be ungentled. We don't know that's possible. This is the spoiler section, Sarah. We know yeah. that's possible. No, okay, but the, the show has not established so far that that is possible. Um, like I, I think so, for the final spoiler section, we're allowed to like go beyond our previous limits. <laughs> we surpass our limits. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose the... Uh, I, I have nothing. I'm, I'm just sort of sighing. Oh. <laughs> uh, lots of complaints about Padden's Fane little expository speech about balance or whatever. But we also get the uh, the yin yang symbol on the floor yeah. of the Eye of the World, and it's light and dark. It's Sidar and Sidine. It's the flame of Tarvalon and the dragon's tooth. It's you know, it's kind of setting up this idea of balance being a good thing. Mm. Yeah. Cause or at least an assumed thing. I don't remember balance being much of a the- like a theme in the books. Like the sort of the finale the final confrontation of the books has things to do with keeping the world back in balance. But like I don't feel like that cropped up very often in the books until that final final, final, like, Brandon Sanderson written, like, mm-hmm. t- t- confronting the mm-hmm. Dark One. Like, 
you know, before it was just like, here's a Forsaken, uh, you have to fight and kill I mean, them, and that's except in so far, except in so far as like from the beginning, and I I don't know how much I'm superimposing stuff from later in the books on early in the books, but. This whole idea that anybody set out and said, like, oh, I think I can eliminate evil from the world. Hmm. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Um, th- that anybody thought they could just, like, eliminate the source of all evil. Uh, and that, or that anybody believes they can eliminate all good in the world, all goodness. Hmm. Uh, these very extreme and foolhardy seeming positions. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, and then you get to the end. And sort of the underlying uh, thought process behind that of like that sort of gets it as a bunch of like the nature of free will stuff yeah. comes out. And it, you know, they don't delve into it very deeply until the end. But I feel like there's always a tone there of like this idea that you could completely eliminate the devil. Yeah. <laughs> is <laughs> like, no, of course not. What do you th- Yeah. <laughs> of course that backfired. <laughs> what? Yeah. I've seen Star Wars. Ren has to become a gray Jedi. <laughs> and I think that the the scene of the dreamscape scene of Rand like waking up in a little cottage with like having been married to Gwen and having a I think that scene comes from the that sort of finale finale part of the books in a memory of light. Um and I like mm-hmm. that they've drawn on real late game stuff and just popped it in the first season. Um, well, Sanderson is a consultant on the show, right? Yeah, yeah. He and him and his feet. Him and his feet. <laughs> <laughs> so it it makes sense that ideas that he maybe picked out from the books as being particularly important mm-hmm. would work their way back into the show um, at this early stage. Yeah, yeah. And I I think I I don't know if this was intentional, but there is a sense that like in the Battle of Faldara. Agalmar is like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna split the men and women up. The men are gonna go to the wall, and the women are gonna stay in the fort. Mm. And that like that plan, although it does work, is kind of disastrous. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like if they and like it's like oh, if they had fought together and if you'd used balance and harmony, then things would have worked a little better. Yeah. Hmm. 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 I, know. I, I am I am excited for season two. But I feel like the, the contrarian in me wants to not be excited for season two because having watched this episode, the episode was just trying to make me excited for season two. And I'm like, no, fuck you. I mean, th- just remember, remember, the best thing for a podcaster is bad media to talk about. It's the greatest gift we could ever receive. <laughs> OK, one final question about the Shan Chan mm-hmm. uh, for Max. Hmm. The women who are doing the big channeling yeah, is it like the... clear that they're prisoners <laughs> yeah i yeah i mean because they're wearing like just mostly like this like gray almost burlap looking like dress that just like you know long sleeves mm-hmm. like down to their feet the sort of gold like mouth plate sort of belies that a little bit because it seems you know pretty ornate not something that you would give a prisoner but it really doesn't surprise me. Mm. You telling me that they're prisoners, like okay, yeah, because I visually would have liked for them to read more as captives mm. yeah. than they do. I think it's very unclear, and maybe they're saving it. They like want it to be a big shocking reveal yeah. in the second season, but I think changing the like the collars from being like collars 
into these big like plates that cover the whole chest mm -hmm. really takes away from that sense of yeah. like oh these are like enslaved women yeah mm -hmm. like maybe if they had a pair or two of guards with like their spears at the ready like kind of prodding them forward and making them channel that would be a little bit more clear too because they, they, I think they're the first ones to come out of the boat. Like, they look like they're sort of leading that group mm. there in doing that. Yeah, I think the, like, the I like the mouthpiece change to mm -hmm. silence them. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, the greater cultural context of the Shanshan in that most of the Damane, the channelers here, enslaved channelers, like, culturally also believe they should be enslaved because of fucked up cultural shit. Mm. So I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, that could make more sense in the context of like, oh yes, like they're enslaved, but they also do kind of have this special place in society, um, in just the fucked up way that the Shanshan work, and that mm -hmm. like, you know, to an outsider, oh, this is the most terrible thing, like these women are enslaved, but like within their culture, it's like, no, this is the way things are, this is the way things should always be, there's nothing wrong with this, it's fine, it has to be like mm -hmm. this. Um, so like that kind of makes sense, but like it doesn't. You're right; it doesn't read at all visually. Uh, to be clear, mm. just like I, I, I have spent a lot of time thinking about like the Shanshan, the like design of the Shanshan, like because that was before I ended up designing for the Emmonsfield Five or the the you know the main <laughs> Two Rivers character. Like before, before I ended up designing them, I was going to design for the Aiel. I was going to design for the Shanshan for all the sort of like weird sort of more fringe cultures um so i just i've spent a lot of time thinking about what they should be and should look like and sort of didn't really come to a conclusion other than they shouldn't look like the stereotypical exotic thing yeah. that robert jordan kind of described I, I would have liked to see them do almost a take on like Roman Empire yeah. and modified because yeah. they modify mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff but the way the Shanshan are talked about in the books is very like the Roman Empire in like absorbing all these other cultures and bringing them into yourself and that uh, the ruling class there is pretty multi-ethnic yeah. like, they've absorbed people from all of these other places they've conquered um so it it feels like a good fit for some kind of pseudo Roman imperial thing. Yeah, and they're a they're a highly organized, highly hierarchical, highly advanced, sophisticated society. Their design doesn't need to be like face paint and skulls yeah. and spikes. Yeah. yeah, they don't need to look like foreign invaders. I'm just so nervous. Like, they're yeah. Are they stuck with this now? It's fucking. I mean, if they can recast map between season one and season two, <laughs> yeah. hopefully they can change this shit. Yeah. Well, and um, even from the books, like this is just a small advanced party, right? This is just mm. the uh, this like the scouting unit. Yeah. So maybe these guys do dress differently. They just sent the assholes ahead, and the rest of them are more normal. So there's such a there's a wealth of like colonial aesthetics that you can draw on, fucking subvert, twist, play with. Mm -hmm. It's all there. Isis, please. <laughs> Final answer, please. <laughs> Sarah, what was the name of the commander of the Shanshan Advance Force? Uh, Lord something a Satala, or Lady something? A, no, fuck. Suroth? Hi, Lady. Suroth. Suroth. Suroth, yeah. When, um, when Tuan gets there, she should be dressed like she's from the Roman Empire, and she should just be like, Suroth, your taste sucks. 
<laughs> this is weird. You should be wearing a hoodie and jeans. <laughs> Put two on in jeans. <laughs> I'm just remembering this because it's a scene in the books where like Matt gets like forcibly dressed up by the Shonshin into like their clothing. And I just imagine like they're trying to put a hoodie on him and he's like, no, no, I hit it. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you'll wear this basketball jersey and you'll like it. <sighs> <laughs> on the back it just it says two on and then like number nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <sighs> one power assisted dunking. <laughs> and one power. God. And remember, listeners, we really did enjoy this episode. We really did. <laughs> we like it, actually. It's good. We had fun. Yeah. I will say, I had a lot of fun talking about it. Don't add us on social media <laughs> to tell us that we were wrong about this episode. We did like yeah. it. This is us covering our asses. Uh, listen, it's just more fun to dissect things and see if their bones out for the vultures. Um, do we have anything else to get to? I like. I probably do, but it's just like small stuff. If there's anything that we forget... There's always next episode. It's always the wrap-up. <sighs> they made a choice when they decided to set half of this episode at night, and that was the wrong choice. Nope. Just like on a purely visual level, every scene with light in it looked way better than every other scene yep. that didn't have light in it. Mm. That Absolutely. seems like very basic filmmaking. <laughs> if you're going to do torchlight, light some more torches. Mm-hmm. You had a line in the show about lighting all the torches. Yeah. We we don't need to invite any more comparisons to Game of Thrones, and the show clearly forgot that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Oh, actually, Max, I wanted to play a little word uh, game with you, uh, which is... Okay. I, want- I already did my wordle for today, but... Uh, don't, yeah, it took me five tries. It was a bit annoying. I didn't bore. Wait, no. Christine took five tries. I took four tries. Anyway, um... <laughs> just, I want you to rotate the word song grill in your mind and look at its its shape and its letters. Uh-huh. Second question. Have you read The Da Vinci Code? Da Vinci? No. When I think of Songreal, I can only think of Strange Real, which is the name of the universe that the Ace Combat games take place in. So that's kind of already like what overwrites it in my oh, mind. Okay, okay. You can stop rotating the word in your mind. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Okay. Can... I'll tuck it in my pocket for a future time. <laughs> Robert Jordan. Are you going to give us some payoff on that, Sarah? Or are you just going to be a Wheel of Time writer this week? No. Read and find out, but read and find out, it's read the Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci. Don't read the Da Vinci Code. It's, I mean, it's a fun time. Watch the Da Vinci Code. Watch Da Vinci Code starring Tom Hanks. <laughs> Tom Hanks. <sighs> Anything else? Nope, that's, that's, that's it. That's, watch Tom Hanks movies, I guess. Well, I guess that was the Wheel of Time. So in conclusion, listeners, watch Castaway. (laughs) Uh, Thank you all for joining us on this riotous adventure through Robert Jordan's, Brandon Sanderson's, Rafe Judkins's The Wheel of Time. (laughs) Jeff Bezos' The Wheel of Time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was Um, good, except when it wasn't. Yeah, it really was very good, except when it really very much wasn't. (laughs) One thing can be said, this was the show of all time. All the time, all the time. Big time, keep on wheeling. And it could be really, really good in future seasons. Oh. They just have to hire all of us. Fucking. Or it could be bad, which will also be fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. E- either way, we win. E- we win. We have fun out here, gamers. The, 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 the worst is if it just is mediocre. Just okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. worst case. You can find us on Twitter at NVM the Trollocs. You can email us at nevermindthetrollocs 
at gmail.com or you can go to nevermindthetrollocks.com to find our RSS feed. You should go and do all those things and tell everyone about it and tell everyone about how much we loved the finale episode of Amazon's Wheel of Time. Oh shit, I get to cancel my Prime subscription. Fuck Hell yeah. Oh, wait, no. Critical Role Show comes out and I kind of didn't want to watch that even though I hate that property as well. <laughs> anyway, you can find all of our social media presences and stuff in the description. I posted a really funny short video to Twitter yesterday. You should all go watch that. Um, it's really good. It's just really good. I'm really proud of it. Uh, thank you for tuning in, listeners. And never mind how good we thought this episode was. Instead... <laughs> never mind the Trollocs. Bada bing, bada boom.